This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Speak Legal, conversations with Community Law Otago, made with the support of Law Faculty, University of Otago. Every week we take the opportunity to catch up with Community Law to talk about New Zealand law, how it affects our daily lives, what the implications are, and how we can navigate our way through some of the issues that come up. Today we're taking a look at parental and guardianship rights, and joining us on the line now, Jess Hanson. Jess Morena, good to have you with us. Good morning, thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's start pulling this apart because it does get a bit complicated. Parental and guardianship yeah. rights, uh, and uh, the Care of Children Act, more particularly. Um, let's uh, let's take a look at guardianship and some definitions. Cool. So having guardianship in law means having all the duties, powers, rights, and responsibilities that a parent or the child has in relation to that child. Uh, it's what we normally think of as just parental rights, uh, though they can be vested in people who aren't first parents of the child. So having guardianship means that you and the child's other guardians have the right and and do the obligation to make decisions about the child's life. So, you know, what school they go to, what they're wearing, where they live, stuff like that. What's required of guardians in terms of the law? So under Section 16 of the Care of Children Act, um, they have powers, rights and responsibilities, which include providing day-to-day care, uh, contributing to the intellectual, emotional, physical, social, cultural and other personal development of the child and also determining um, with or for the child important matters. So things like their name, changes to their residence, uh, what medical treatment they receive, where and how they're educated and um, just culture, language, religious denomination, all that stuff. Um, who can be a guardian in terms of the, the legal definition of guardian? So usually um, we normally think of it as the parents. Um, the birth mother is upon birth always presumed a guardian um, because, I mean, we can tell that that child belongs to that mother. But um, for the father, it can be a little different. Um, if the child's born after 2005, uh, if the father was married in a civil union or de facto relationship with the mother, they're presumed the father. Um, it was a little different if the child was born before the Care of Children Act was enacted, but most of those children are nearing 18 now, so it's a bit of a defunct provision. Um, if the father isn't a guardian, he can be appointed other ways. So under Section 18, if both parents are jointly registered on the birth certificate, uh, or under Section 19, the father can apply to the family court. And they'll usually be appointed unless it's contrary to the welfare and interests of the child. Also... Guardianship can be available to other people, so anyone who has a stake in the interest of that child, uh, they just have to apply under Section 27 and be appointed by the court. And the court itself may be a guardian as well, for specific purposes. So, so when does guardianship end? So usually when the child turns 18 or reaches what's called Gallic competence age, so when they can start making these decisions for themselves, sometimes around 16 or 17. Um, it can also be extinguished by a court order under Section 29 if a parent or guardian is deemed unfit or unwilling to provide their guardianship duties. Uh, and, um, yeah, certain rights over the child might expire or become increasingly untenable as they get older. So making decisions about, for example, their medical treatment um, can be 
can be overridden if the child is of sufficient competence and maturity that they can they're deemed by the court um, able to make those decisions on their own. Tell us a, a little bit more about um, the removal of guardians. Yeah, so anyone can apply, any eligible person, sorry, can apply to the court to have a guardian removed if they think they're unfit. So an eligible person might be another parent, another guardian, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, sibling, other relations, um, or any other person that's granted leave by the court. And the court in that case must be satisfied that the guardian is unwilling to perform or exercise their duties, or they are for some, quote, grave reason unfit. And in order for removal, has to also serve the child's best interest and welfare. All right. So we've got a good idea of, uh, of who guardians are and what their responsibilities are. Let's, let's turn now towards the care of children after separation. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so obviously it can get um, a little messy when parents split up um, and they have conflicting interests and, you know, one of them has to take day-to-day care of the child. Um, or made a lot messier by Section 16.5, which provides that guardians of the child must act jointly. Uh, so the parents who split up are expected and required to act jointly whether or not they're together. Um, but often they have they can have significant disagreements about important matters related to the child. Um, and they have to obviously do their best to work this out between them, but sometimes that just really isn't feasible. Um, so they can apply to the court for dispute resolution if there is a big agreement, big disagreement. Um, but first they have to attend a parenting through separation course and try um, family dispute resolution mediation as well before they can apply to the court under Section 46R or Section 47. All right. So if they're unable to, to reach agreements through those channels, what then? What then? Um, so depending on what the disagreement is about, um, they can apply for a parenting order under Section 47. But this is usually this usually caters to the appropriate arrangements being made for the child. Um, so day-to-day care, contact and custody. The court will decide with the child's welfare and best interests in mind and with regards to the Section 5 principles, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, what is the most appropriate course of action for that child. Um, usually this means determining who has day-to-day care and who gets contact. Um, so under Section 8, day-to-day care, um, previously known as custody, um, means, I mean, what it says on the tin, day-to-day care. Um, they stay with that parent for the majority of the time. And contact, contact, sorry, previously named access, is everything else. So some, the, pers- the parent who has been left of the time or only sees them rather than having sleepovers, stuff like that. Uh, so a parenting order can specify the nature of contact, the duration and timing, and any arrangements necessary or desirable to facilitate it. Other, sorry, um, but if it's disputes over something else, they can apply under Section 46R for court resolution. So that, um, for example, we had a few cases come through the court recently about um, parents that disagreed on whether or not their child should be vaccinated. Uh, so stuff like that. That was under Section 46R. And uh, the paramountcy of the interests of the children is important, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So all dispute resolutions dealt with by the family court position, the two guardians in opposition, but their primary interest, of course, is the welfare and interest of the child. So that is the paramount consideration there. Um, The child 
is appointed a lawyer, so a lawyer for child, who is separate from any counsel that the parents or guardians might have. Uh, they help facilitate the child's own involvement in that issue and are loyal to the child only. Um, and Section 5 are the kind of welfare and interest under welfare and interest principles that the court uh, has to weigh up and consider when they're making their decision. Uh, so Section 5, uh, protecting the child's safety. Uh, after Kasim v. Pashir, um, this has been given primacy as a mandatory consideration, so the child must be protected from violence. And the other ones, um, the other principles that are to be weighed according to their relevance and the likely impact on the child's well-being. So this is the principle that the child's care development and upbringing are primarily the responsibility of parents and guardians, uh, and such decisions should be facilitated by ongoing consultation between those parents and guardians. Also, that a child should have continuity in their care arrangement. So they shouldn't be, you know, shifting around all the time or living between houses if they can prevent that. Uh, and also, the parental relationship um, needs to be preserved and strengthened where possible, as well as the child's relationship with their cultural, cultural identity. So those are the principles that the court has to juggle and kind of prioritise when they're making decisions about what's best for the child. Yeah, well, as um, we said at the outset, it is, is a complex area, and, and not least of which yeah, because absolutely. of the, the kind of high emotional uh, uh, impact of separation and, and and some of, you know, some of the behaviour that can can follow that, or some of the difficulties that one parent or other might have. Yeah, with. it's hard to land on a you know a right or even the most right decision about what to do in these situations because it is really difficult in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Well, the takeaways are that, you know, b before you have to consider going through a kind of more formal court process like that, there yeah. are other processes available through the parenting, through separation, um, dispute yeah. resolutions and mediations and so forth. And, and then uh, uh, and only then would you embark on that kind of uh, that litigation in the family court that would, uh, yeah. would necessarily um, pose the, the, the parents against or guardians against each other. And, uh, and um, I guess everyone would agree that it's great to avoid that at, at all possible. And that all starts with getting some good advice, and I'm sure yeah. <laughs> um, a community law Otago from time to time does get uh, questions around this issue. Um, Absolutely, all the time. <laughs> so uh, um, they're great to get in touch with, to, just to get you on the right path for getting the kind of advice that you need to navigate your way through that uh, that what can be quite a difficult process. Jess, thanks so much yeah, for absolutely. taking some time to join us again. Look forward to no uh, picking up a further topic with you sometime down the track. And, of course, we'll uh, be catching up with others from the team there at Community Law Otago every week here on ORFM. Community Law Otago. Free legal advice and support for the people of Otago. Visit our weekday advice clinics at 169 Princess Street, Dunedin. Clinic session times are available from the website communitylawotago.com. Ring 474-1922 or 0800-169-333 if calling from outside Dunedin. Speak Legal is made with support from the law faculty, University of Otago, training for life. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.